Welcome back to The Fix, everyone, live in the Prop Swap studios on AM 1490 Sports Betting Radio. And like I said to start the show, a much-needed break in the craziness of Eagles. We could only talk Eagles and NFL for so long. And we could talk it all day, every day. But the draft came at the perfect time. And we're not talking about what the bleep did they just do. The Daryl Morey Sixers, it's, it's a soothing era. And, and to talk about this new era and more specifically what this organization did, not only during the draft, but before it yesterday, I'm bringing in uh, my friend Kai Carlin uh, from Sixers Wire, does a great job covering the Philadelphia 76ers. So, Kai, how you doing tonight, my friend? I'm good, man. How are you tonight, bro? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm excited. You know, I'm excited. And and let's start with you know I'll try and go in chronological order here, and and I'll start with the news of Al Horford packing his bag. So, what do you think of that deal? And uh, you know, your initial thoughts uh, from from start to finish with with everything surrounding Al Horford. Oh man, where do we begin? Uh, well, the I, I guess we'll just kind of go go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, the 76ers, obviously, they, they signed Al Horford to a four-year, $109 million deal. And everybody kind of had this expectation that he and Joel Embiid would form this great, fearsome duo down low. And that would be great if this was 2005. But, you know, basketball has played much differently in 2020 than it is in 2005. So uh, it was just a, it was a disastrous fit offensively uh, I thought Horford and Embiid played together well defensively which is to be expected but offensively they were just they were a complete train wreck and Daryl Morey knew he was like listen this fit does, is not here uh, we have to do something uh, let me see if I can get us some shooting and the fact that he made that move and he was able to bring in a real professional shooter a guy like Danny Green who he gets a bad rep I'm not sure why I mean, he, he's a really good shooter. Like, I don't understand. But you know why? It's Twitter. Tw- Twitter, yeah. just, Twitter just ruins everybody's reputation. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> but, but to bring in Danny Green to, and got rid of Al Horford's contract is a brilliant move by Maury. It really is. And that just started everything off. Uh, I like Danny Green. Yeah, you can, you can argue maybe he had a little bit of a down year last year. But he's still a guy that he plays – very sound defense, and he can shoot the rock. He, he's just a great 3-and-D supplemental player. So success right there on the Daryl Morey to-do list. Um, I want to get to the Josh Richardson trade in a second, but let's just let's just fast forward for a second to the draft. Uh, sure. And, and the first pick, your, your initial thoughts. Um, you know, this is a guy now that uh, – He's a good piece. Uh, he's someone, you know, a Kentucky guy. And, and Muncie's the guy that, um, you know, worked out with Simmons. He's worked out with LeBron. And, of course, that's the first thing that ESPN cuts to when, when the right. Sixers get him. But uh, he, he's a legitimate player. I, I like I liked his game when he was at Kentucky. Did you think that was the right move there in the first round? I'll be honest with you, Ryan. I'm, I'm shocked he was there at 21. Yeah. I'm absolutely shocked he slid that far and, and maybe it's because he didn't shoot the ball well at Kentucky uh I think he shot 29.8 percent from deep off the top of my head for for the Wildcats this year and I understand it you know the three-point percentage it's low but Tyrese Maxey is a lottery talent and Philadelphia got him at 21 and 
this is a guy who can put the ball on the floor, get to the free throw line. He finishes well around the basket, too. That's an underrated part of his game that a lot of people really aren't discussing right now. He can finish around the basket. He gets to the line. He puts in the work, too, Ryan. Uh, in, in his introductory press conference earlier, he kind of mentioned to us that he gets up at 6 a.m., uh, and, and he's in the gym from about seven to nine. He puts up 750 to 800 three pointers in that workout. Then he goes to the you know the workout room, the weightlifting room, I should say, and he just starts lifting weights. And then once that's done, he goes back out to the court and puts up another 750 to 800 three pointers, trying to prove to everybody that he can shoot the rock. So I feel like they got the perfect guy for their situation a guy who can really team up with Ben Simmons and really form like a really good defensive, I, I, I want to say defensive duo and be able to get out and run use uh, in transition and use their athleticism. And he's, he works hard enough and he's got a willingness to improve on his jump shot and really become a really good player in this league. So I, I feel like they got to steal with Maxi at 21. Is Maxi, is Maxi too similar to Thibel? Those are some like initial reactions that I saw. Um, I, I think he's he's a much better version, and I think he's a gamer, that cliche that we like to use, but I don't think he's going to have a problem playing in fourth quarters. I mean, this is all speculation. We'll see once the games start. Uh, but I guess what do you think his role is going to be in the rotation? A gamer. Yeah, honestly, that's a really good term. I use that to describe Donovan McNabb all the time, if we're going to be completely honest. I use that term there. Um <laughs> But when it comes to Maxi and Matisse Thibault, I don't know if I really see too many similarities between the two of them. Thibault, to me, is like a defensive monster. Like, yeah. I think I think Thibault is so impressive as a defender for a guy so young and a guy who just finished up his rookie season. I feel like you really have to give him a ton of credit for just really coming in here and making the impact he had on the defensive end, like, really, really quickly. When it comes to Maxi, I think offense – I think a guy who goes downhill, attacks, gets to the basket, finishes well, has a smooth jump shot, even if the, the percentages say it's not there, that jumper is going to, I think, translate to the NBA level. And we're looking at a guy who, as you just mentioned, he could play in the fourth quarter and not hurt you much offensively. That's the, uh, that's the thing right now with Matisse. Like the Sixers really wanted to make Matisse a starter last year. But you could just tell he just he didn't have it offensively just yet. And that's to be expected. He's a rookie. He's young, still has a lot of development to do. But I, I don't think we're going to get that with Maxi. I think he's going to come in here and make an impact right away on the offensive end. Do you think this stunts Bible's growth at all? Oh, now, see, that's a good question. That honestly is, is like a great question. Uh, me personally, I don't think so. But I can see where the where like that assumption would come from. Because eventually somebody somebody has to start at small forward because let's just kind of let's just kind of break it down. Ben Simmons will probably start at the point. You got Joe Well at the center, and then you got Tobias Harris at the four. And then either one of Seth Curry or Danny Green is going to start at the two. And then that small forward spot's going to be up for grabs. So and initially you're probably thinking Matisse Thibel probably starts there, but it wouldn't shock me either if Maxi kind of overtook him for that final spot at some point and Maxi became the starter at small forward. Uh, unless the team goes out and signs somebody in free agency, you know, somebody cheap, like say a Kent Bazemore for, for five mil a year or something. So it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of see how, how they handle all that. Talking with Kai Carlin, follow him on Twitter at Kai underscore Carlin. He covers the Philadelphia 76ers as editor for the Sixers wire for USA today. He also has the bell ringer podcast. So be sure to check out. 
the bell ringer podcast. Uh, all right. So I, I agree uh, with, with a lot of the assessment there and, and now it's just fun to try and see where the pieces are going to fall into place a little bit. And, and that's just so much speculation. I, I want to ask you about the, the second round picks as well, but let's jump back now again to the Josh Richardson trade, your thoughts on being able to unload Jay Rich. And as you mentioned, now they have a Curry, not the Curry, but a pretty damn underrated Curry, I would say, Kai. Absolutely, Ryan. A lot of people are like, oh, they got the wrong Curry. But let's be real. Seth Curry shot 45% from deep, which is nothing to sneeze on. Like that is white hot shooting from deep. So, I mean, listen, Seth isn't Steph. I get it. But Seth can shoot the ball just as good as Steph can. Seth can really light it up from deep. So that's a really terrific addition. And, and before I even move on, like Josh Richardson, and Al Horford, I feel like are still very good, serviceable, starting caliber basketball players in the NBA. The thing is, they did not fit on this team. And, and you know, you're going to see it. Um, it's going to be interesting to kind of see what the Thunder do with Horford and Steven Adams now. But if, if they move Adams and put Horford at center, you're going to see Horford kind of thrive a little bit as he did, you know, before he came to Philly. And then with Richardson – He's going to come in there to Dallas and play right off of Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis and fill a pretty good role. In Philadelphia, they asked him to do too much. Brett Brown kind of had no choice because of the way the roster was set up. But he basically needed Richardson to just fire it from deeps, you know, so often. And Richardson's not this great three-point shooter. He's a capable three-point shooter. But on this roster, they needed him to take six, seven threes a night. And just that that's not Richardson's game. So... That's Curry's game. That's Danny Green's game. So getting rid of these guys like Horford and Josh, two good basketball players, they don't fit this roster. It was like putting a square in a, in a round peg, you know, that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Just, it, it, just, it was a terrible, terrible move. No, I, I'm with you. And, and there's nothing against Jay Rich, but he's, right. just a, he's a shot creator. He, there's no spacing. I mean, we, we all know the issues with the 76ers roster. It just didn't help them individually when talking about uh, Jay Rich and Al Horford. Uh, let, let's move down a little bit now. And Paul Reed, and, and I just think the Sixers nailed this, man, all over. Like, we've been wanting – uh, a serviceable backup, a guy that is a legitimate backup big in the NBA. And now this is this is going to be a rookie season for Paul Reed out of DePaul. And I want you to fill us in on him because I'm sure the average person doesn't even know much about him. But he seems like a guy, big, strong, physical, can run the floor, and he can give the Sixers hopefully, who knows, 8 to 18 minutes uh, a night allowing Embiid to sit and possibly even take nights off without the team taking a step back. That's wishful thinking, but maybe that's the, the end game. Yeah, that's definitely the end game. I mean, Daryl Morey mentioned it last night uh, after the draft. He, he said, we're, we're, we're shocked that Paul Reed was there at 58. He, he's supremely underrated in our minds, and we feel like he can back up Joel for those 13 to 15 minutes when he's off the floor. And a, as you mentioned, Ryan, th- th- this team is a – it team falls off a cliff always when Joel comes off the floor and it's not necessarily an indictment on Ben and people be like, Oh, how come Ben can't keep it going? I feel like it's because they haven't been able to find a suitable backup to Joel to kind of keep the production going. And I look at Kyle O'Quinn. I think Kyle O'Quinn was a good option. He's a good veteran, but 
Paul Reed to me is just a guy who fits better next to Ben than Kyle Quinn does. And when Joel goes off the floor and Ben wants to push, push, push the tempo, that's what Paul Reed does. Because as you mentioned, Ryan, he runs the floor like a deer. He's athletic. He gets up and down. He moves. He loves the up-tempo game. And on top of that, he averaged 15 and 10 in his junior season at DePaul, and he averaged two and a half blocks a night. So he's a very good shot blocker as well. He's got good instincts on the defensive end of the floor. So Reed is a definitely a good addition. I think the Sixers, I think, will go out and try to find some somebody in free agency against somebody cheap to try to back up Joel. I know Nerlens Noel's name has been kind of floating around. So I, I do think they will try to sign somebody in free agency. But for now, Paul Reed's not a bad option. No, and then to wrap it up in the middle, uh, the Sixers are able to get the sharpshooter from Arkansas, Isaiah Joe. Why don't you talk about him uh, and what he can bring to this team in his first season and what you thought of him at Arkansas? Man, Isaiah Joe, geez, like this, this guy really has one of the purest strokes uh, in this draft. And I'm not, he's another one. I didn't think he was going to be there at 49, especially when a report from Bleacher Reports, Jonathan Wasserman came out the day before the draft. I said the Sixers, quote unquote, promised to Joe that they would select him. I thought for sure some team would try to grab Joe early and then call up Daryl Morey and hold Joe hostage for, you know, whatever they want. But instead, he's really slid all the way to 49. And Philadelphia took him there. And now they're getting a guy who really can light it up, Brian. I'm like, I know a lot of people are going to look at his shooting percentage in his sophomore year. And they're going to be like, oh, he only shot 34.2% from deep. Like, what is that? That's terrible. But when you take into effect that there was a stretch when he played through a knee injury and he shot 13 for 47 from deep while trying to play on a knee injury. And then you also throw in the fact that he took 10.6 three-pointers a night that's going to factor into a low percentage. No, absolutely. And I think that was a, another strong pick uh, from top to bottom. I think the Sixers did, did really well last night in the draft. And then you throw in their ability to make those two very key trades. That, that's not just unloading Al Horford, which would have been huge in itself. It's not just unloading uh, Jay Rich, which would have been big news. Got rid of both of them and were able to get back, more importantly, uh, the right guys in return. So I guess my question is next, Kai, uh, what's, what do you anticipate looking into your crystal ball next from Daryl Morey? James Harden is the big name. He, it seems like all signs are pointing to Brooklyn there, but the Sixers have been mentioned frequently enough to, to say, huh, it's not just a weird long shot. It feels like it's something. Uh, though the Nets, I feel like, still have the edge there. But not even just James Harden. Any other move that you anticipate from Maury in the front office? I don't see anything big coming, Ryan. I think we'll see minor free agency moves, which is really all they can make. They don't have much money to spend in free agency, even – excuse me, even after getting off of Horford's contracts. It's not like the Sixers all of a sudden have a windfall of cash they can use. So – Honestly, I can see them going after a cheap backup option to Joel and free agency. They could go after a wing, um, as I mentioned earlier, because a small forward, they're going to have to kind of figure out whether they want to start Thibel or, or Maxi or, or just Furkan Korkmaz feature into there. Like, how does all that work? But Kent Bazemore could be a guy who could be worth like $5 million. You kind of bring him in, plug him in uh, next to Joel and Ben. He's another one, three and D. So 
I don't think we're going to see anything but James Harden, though. I mean, I, I've been saying it for weeks. I know everybody was like, oh, the Sixers are going to get Harden. And I kind of was like, no, no, they're not going to get Harden. Because in order to do that, you want to break up Ben and you're going to have to break up Ben and Joel. And that's not what they want to do just yet. They really want to give Ben and Joel time under Doc Rivers to see what they can do. Now, let's just say Houston holds on to Harden. And we're, we have the same conversation um, less than a year later in June and July when, bas- when, ba- when the basketball offseason normally is in 2021 and Embiid and, and Simmons pairing is still having issues, then I can kind of be like, then I can kind of entertain Harden coming to Philadelphia because then Sixers might want to give up Ben for that and see if they can go with that. It's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be a fun NBA season, and it all starts in just a couple of weeks. Uh, my final, it's not really a question, but it's a comment that I want you to respond to before I let you go. The biggest difference that we're going to see in the Philadelphia 76ers team this year, in my opinion, is just the simple fact of Doc Rivers being able to get Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons the ball in half-court sets and close games in fourth quarters and get them the ball often and in big spots where they're able to score and they're he's putting them in positions to win. Like, it's going to be that simple. That's what I think the biggest change in this team is going to be. The struggles that we've seen with the Sixers, with Ben and Joe, have really just been as simple as get the stars the damn ball. And Brett Brown was never able to do that consistently. It was always so difficult. That's what I think the biggest difference is going to be. You can agree, disagree, or add on to that. I'm going to add on to that because I do agree. But I think I think we have to kind of like look at last year as an outlier just for the fact that the roster was an awful, 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 awful fit. And it was hard to kind of have Ben and Joel operate in the half court because the minute they try to run a pick and roll – or really even try to do anything, they got clogged in the middle because there's another big man down there. And, and, you know, that doesn't work in 2020. So I do believe that with this upcoming season, Doc is going to find a way to make sure Ben and Joel get the ball in crunch time situations. But I think it's going to be because they're going to have the proper spacing with Danny Green and Seth Curry. In the past, uh, you know, I want to go back to 2017, 18, and 2018, 19. Ben and Joel had an offensive rating of about 116 in both of those seasons, and they were able to succeed offensively because they had the proper spacing and the shooting around them. And I feel like it's going to be the same this season now that they corrected the mistakes of 2019, and they can move forward into the 2020-21 season with the proper shooting to allow Ben and Joel to operate. So, yeah, I do agree with you. I do think last year is a little bit of an outlier because of how awful the roster was. Absolutely. Uh, Daryl Morey and, and the addition of him and what he's already been able to do, that has been the biggest difference. And uh, I'm excited for the season to get started. Kai Carlin, uh, Philadelphia 76ers editor over at the Sixers wire USA today, give him a follow at Kai underscore Carlin. And uh, Kai was kind enough to spend a few minutes of his time tonight with us right here on the fix. Kai, I appreciate it, brother. Go get some sleep. All right. Ryan, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, the, my bed is calling my name right now, man. I, I definitely just want to crawl into it real quick. <laughs> Swan dive in my friend. We'll talk soon. Talk to you soon, Ryan. Thank you.